Father, we just uh, thank you for just your goodness to us. And, and Lord, we live in such wicked, wicked times. Lord, uh, the, a time when the church is becoming apostate, uh, evil is growing worse and worse by the minute, and, and uh, there are many antichrists in the world, Lord, and it's not going to be long until the antichrist comes on the scene. And that's what Paul's been telling us in this book. But today, Lord, he's going to, as you know, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna change directions and he's going to bring us to a place of comfort, great comfort, the comfort that we have in, in uh, all of the great doctrines that you've given us, Lord, uh, about our salvation and and uh, all the way up to our glorification. And we're going to be looking, taking a glance at those doctrines today. And, Lord, I ask that you use this uh, message, this text, to, to comfort every soul here, Lord. And if there's someone here who, who is not born again, Lord, truly born again, Lord, let this message convict them of that uh, condition, Lord, and, and uh, Lord, just lead them uh, into a true relationship with you through Jesus Christ. For all of us that know you, Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gospel. Uh, we thank you for these great truths that we're going to look at today. And we just ask you to anoint this message by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to the book of Second Thessalonians. And we'll be in chapter number 2 today. Second Thessalonians chapter number 2. Now my wife wants me to live a long time. And so she likes for me to eat really healthy food. Things like kale and celery and spinach and carrots and for dessert bananas and grapes. And she wants us to eat like that, but I got to tell you, I'm somebody who really likes comfort food. One of my favorite TV shows is Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. And I can watch that show and just sit there and drool. That food looks so good and so inviting. I like to eat food like that. I like meat and potatoes. That's the kind of person I am. Casseroles, uh, chocolate cake, and like we're going to have today, shrimp and jambalaya. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying, preacher, you're making me hungry. Get done with this sermon so we can go eat. But hang on, because I've got something even better for you today. I've got some comfort food for the soul, and it comes right out of this text here in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter uh, number two. Now you know where Paul's been at in this in this book of First uh, First Thessalonians and then Second Thessalonians. He's been telling us about some really good news about our future that the Lord is coming really soon. But in the meantime, things are going to get really really bad. They're going to get worse and worse as we lead up until the tribulation. Things are going to become more wicked. People are going to become more and more wicked. Uh, there are going to be more and more antichrist in the world. The church is going to become apostate and, and uh, people are going to be condemned and they're going to be condemned to hell. Why? Well, look back at verse number 12. Because they did not believe the truth but instead had pleasure in unrighteousness. 
People love darkness. They hate the light and they won't come to the light. That's always been the problem with mankind. Now, that's not very comforting news. So it says, if when we come to verse 13, Paul says, enough of that talk. Enough of talking about the Antichrist. Enough of talking about condemnation. Enough of talking about hell. Enough of talking about the apostate church. He wants to comfort us. And that's what he's going to do here in beginning in verse number 13. So go with me to chapter number 2 and let's read number 13, verse number 13. You talk about some good news right here. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, you who are born again, you who are children of God, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in truth. He's not done yet. He's just catching a wind here. To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you talk about some meat and potatoes. There's some meat and potatoes there in those two verses. Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he could put an awful lot of comfort food in the two verses. Actually, that's only one sentence. In one sentence, I want you to look at that now, he gives us the doctrine of election, the doctrine of calling, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of glorification, and the doctrine of choice. Every bit of that in one sentence. Well, let's look at these. Let's look at each one of these going back to, to verse number 13. First of all, let's look at the doctrine of election. And you talk about something that will satisfy your soul. You talk about some comfort food for the soul. When you get this doctrine of election down, it's a very comforting doctrine. Look at what Paul says. He says, God chose you for salvation through sanctification from the beginning. From the beginning. When did he choose you? From the beginning. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, before God even put the universe into existence, he chose you for salvation. Now, that's an awful comforting thought for me. to me. I mean, to know that I was chosen by him before the foundation of the world, that means that nothing can get, take my salvation away. I've been chosen from the foundation of the world. Why did he choose us? Because we're so good-looking. Well, maybe for me that might be the case. Actually, you're thinking, no way, dude. I mean, did he choose us because we're so sweet and kind and so good? No, he didn't choose us because we're so sweet and kind and so good. Did he choose us because we're smart? We're so smart? Well, what does the Bible say? Not many smart are chosen. Not many wise are chosen. Why did he choose us? I mean, look at verse number 13. He says, because, and look at the middle there, because we are beloved by the Lord. The only reason you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world is because you were loved by the Lord. Now, do you know what that tells me? You theologians here, you know what that tells me? It tells me that the Lord wanted to choose everybody. Did you know that? 
The Lord wanted to choose everybody. We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, but he wanted to choose everybody. How do I know that? Because John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the whole world. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that God wishes that none should perish, that all should come to eternal life. So God wanted to choose everybody everybody before the foundation of the world. Now that brings us to the doctrine of calling that he gives us in this verse. He says in verse number 14 that he called you by the gospel, by the good news of Jesus Christ. When you heard that call, when you heard that message that you were a sinner and Christ died for your sin, when you heard that call, he called you by the gospel. But here's the problem. Listen to what he says and what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 14. He says that many are called, but few are chosen. See, we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We were called. Many were called, but few are chosen. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, 18, that the gospel has gone out into the whole earth, the words of Christ until the ends of the earth. I mean, the calling has gone out to everybody. Everybody in this room has been called unto salvation through sanctification. Well, then why isn't everybody saved? Well, if God wishes that none should perish and everybody's been called, then why isn't everybody saved? And if he chooses us before the foundation of the world, why isn't everybody saved? Well, that brings us to the doctrine of choice. He, he's... He says we've been chosen in him. He says because we believe the truth. Now, what is the truth? The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's the truth of the gospel. And as Paul says here, we are, beloved as, as we are beloved by God. We are special to God. Why are you special to God? What makes us so special to God is that we've made a choice. You and I have made a choice. We've made a choice to put our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, I believe that the Bible teaches that we as human beings have a more special place in the heart of God than angels do. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. And why is that? Let me tell you why it is. It's because we have a choice. You and I have a choice. We have a choice to believe or we have a choice not to believe. We have a choice to close our ears to the gospel or hear the calling of God. Let me see if I can illustrate. I have a dog and two cats. And I love my dog. But I got to tell you, my cats have got a special place in my heart. Let me explain to you why. My dog, I, you can kick my dog. You can ignore my dog. I don't kick my dog, by the way. But you can kick my dog and you can ignore my dog. You can feed my dog the nastiest looking old dry dog food and he'll still eat it. And you can, you can forget to, 
to put water in his dish and, and you can yell at him, you can do anything you want to that dog, and he's still going to wag his tail and lick you in the face and, and love you. You know why he loves you no matter what you do? Because he doesn't have a choice. He's a dog. He was made to love you no matter what you do. Dogs love their masters. So don't think you're special because your dog loves you. Your dog's going to love you if you're his master. He's made to love you. But I've got to tell you, it is work to get a cat to love you. It is a lot of work. Those proud little pitiful creatures think they're really something. I mean, they think they're really special. They are the most selfish animals on earth. I can tell you that right now. And you had better keep their water bowl full. In fact, my cats won't drink out of a water bowl. They have to have running water. One of my cats won't drink unless he gets coffee creamers. My wife has started him on coffee creamers, and he won't drink unless you, he'll starve himself, or he'll die of thirst if you don't give him his coffee creamers. And you had better not give him them dry cat foods. Don't even think about it. They want the canned stuff and not just any old cheap canned stuff. They want the best of the canned stuff. That's why they name cat foods things like fancy feast, perfect delicacies, Sheba cuts, temptations. And when a cat is ready to be petted, you had better pet them because you ain't not going to get many chances. When they crawl up in your lap, you had better enjoy it while you can or you might not see them again. And if you yell at that cat, you won't see that cat again until you bring out the fancy feast. <laughs> now, do those cats remind you of anybody? I mean, pitiful, little, self-centered, proud creatures. Does that remind you of anybody? Hey, how about us? We are a lot alike. That's why God put cats into my life, to show me what I'm like in my relationship to him. I want everything he can give me, and every once in a while I'll lay in his lap, but hey, don't yell at me or don't discipline me or I won't lay in your lap, Lord. See, we're not like the angels. The angels 24-7 sit around the throne of God, praising God, singing hymns to God, worshiping God. Anything the Lord says do, they do it. They never have disobeyed the Lord. I mean, there's a set of angels who have, who had a choice, and that's what happened to them. But most of those angels around the throne, they do it because it's their nature to do it. They were created to do it. And, and so they're different from us. And that's why... We're different to God because we have a choice. And God has to court us and woo us and bless us and discipline us and work in us every day in order to have this relationship with us because we have a choice. And that's why the Bible says that no one can come to the Father or no one can come to Jesus Christ unless the Father draws him. The Father works is working really hard to save every one of you. Man, I know he's working really, really, really hard to save me. To make me continue to make that choice, to keep that choice, to keep close to him. It's a choice every day that I have. It's a choice you have every day. Look, one day we're going to be just like the angels. 
We're going to be just like the angels. We are going to love God, the Lord God with all our heart and with all our soul. We're going to worship him with every part of our being. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to be obedient to him and we will never disobey him again. But before that can happen, we have to be sanctified and we have to be glorified. Here's what I want to look at for a second. How do we reconcile choice with election? I mean, if we have to choose God in order to be saved, how can God choose us before the foundation of the world? Let me tell you how. By foreknowledge. It's foreknowledge. It's foreknowledge. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows the, everything that's ever going to happen in the future. He knows those who are going to choose him. Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. He says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Who, who does he, foreknew what? Foreknew those who would make a choice, those who would choose him. So if you want to be one of the elect, let me tell you, all you got to do is choose him. And as I say all the time, once you've chosen, once you've chosen him, you're going to find out that you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. It's as simple as that. I know I was chosen before the foundation of the world because I chose him. Well, pastor, you know, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. You know, I believe, I believe in this man, Jesus. I believe that this man, you know, some 2,000 years ago died on the cross for the sins of the world. I believe that. And, and, and so I've got my ticket to heaven, right? Not necessarily. Because here's something I want you to see. I want everybody in this room to see today and look at it real carefully. That brings us to the fourth doctrine that Paul gives us in this one sentence. Look at the last part of verse 13. He, the... That he gives us the doctrine of salvation through sanctification. Everybody get that? We talk about salvation through faith. That's true. But true salvation comes through sanctification. How? By the Spirit of God. Now, see, here's where a lot of people go wrong. A lot of people who call themselves Christians who really aren't Christians. They think that if they believe these historical facts about Jesus and they do their very best to live a pretty good life, then they punch their ticket for heaven. Not so. That's not true. Paul says here, salvation comes through sanctification by the Spirit of God. It begins with belief. You have to put your faith in Christ. And it's not just believing facts. It's not just assimilating facts into your mind. It's taking those facts and saying, I'm going to put everything I've got into my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to put all my faith for my salvation in him. And then the process of sanctification begins. And so salvation begins with faith, but it's consummated through sanctification by the Spirit. Now, what's it mean to be sanctified? That word hagios in the Greek, we've seen it several times. It's translated several ways in the Bible. It means to be, it means to be made a saint. It means to be made holy. It means to be made perfect. It means all of those things. It means to be set apart. You can add that to the list. And why is, why is that so? We're sanctified to prepare us for heaven because what does he, the author of Hebrews says? He says, without holiness, without sanctification, 
No one will see God. You can know all the facts about Jesus in the world. You can know that he died on a cross some 2,000 years ago. You can believe those facts are true, but that doesn't save you. You must be born again because, see, sanctification comes by the Spirit, and in order to have the Spirit of God, you must be born again. And I always bring this up because I, I, I know so many people who run around calling themselves Christians and I, can, I know in my heart that they are not born again. In fact, some of them you can ask, are you born again? What's born again mean? You know, I don't care about being born again. I believe in Jesus. That salvation comes through sanctification by the Spirit of God. And so without the Spirit of God, you are none of Christ. Read Romans chapter 8. You are none of Christ. If you're not putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit of God, if you're not being sanctified, you are none of Christ. Now, let me tell you something. If you're in this room today, you can call yourself a Christian until you're blue in the face. But you better be asking yourself, am I born again? If you are born again, you know you're born again. You know God is sanctifying you. He is changing you. He's changed your heart. You love his word. You love to serve the Lord. You love to worship the Lord. You're coming out of that cat stage. You're coming more, becoming more like angels. You're becoming more holy, more separated unto God, more like a saint. And so salvation comes through sanctification. And then that brings us to dessert. That brings us to dessert, the very best part, the part I'm looking for. Because let me tell you what, you cannot sanctify your old flesh. You can't sanctify it. And this is where a lot of Christians go wrong. And they condemn themselves because they they, they don't see themselves as perfect. They don't see themselves as a saint. They don't see themselves as holy. And, and, and so they, 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 they listen to the devil and they condemn themselves, but, but they've got to realize that you still have your flesh and your flesh is evil. Everything that you did bad before you were saved is right there in your mind. It's right there in your heart. You have wicked and terrible dreams. Man, you wouldn't want to be in some of the dreams I'm in. Some of you are. Man, y'all are really bad. You're worse than me. I'm teasing. But, but, I mean, the reason you have those kind of dreams and the reason you have evil thoughts is because you still have your flesh. And we're to try to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit. That's sanctification. That says we become more and more holy. But one day, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. One day we're going to be glorified. Desert, you know what desert is? It's glorification. It is glorification. What's our glorification? Look at the last part of verse number 14. This is pretty good stuff obtaining to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoa. You mean to tell me we can obtain to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, you can through glorification. You know what the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is? It's the glory of God. And and that means that Jesus emanates God Almighty. He radiates the glory of God. And one day you will radiate the glory of Jesus Christ. You will emanate the glory of Jesus Christ. John says it like this in 1 John chapter 3, that when we see him, we will be like him. Like him. In every way, we will be like him. We'll be greater than angels. 
We'll be just like Jesus Christ. That's an absolutely amazing statement. And that can only happen if we get a new body. That's the only way that can happen. And here's where I was heading earlier. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul describes that new body. He says, there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown mortal. It is raised immortal. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now that's glorification. That's dessert. So man, you there you have it. Forget the shrimp and jambalaya. You can go home now and leave that for me. I mean... You talk about a solid plate of spiritual comfort food. You ever want to you get a little hungry? Go back and read chapters 13 and 14 where Paul gives a, an entire systematic theology in two verses, one sentence. Man, that guy could do it, couldn't he, by the power of the Holy Spirit? Therefore, I mean, therefore, you've got all of these great things. Therefore, you're living in tough times. You're living in the day of the Antichrist. You're living where the church is becoming apostate. You're living where people are becoming more and more wicked. Therefore, brethren, stand fast on these truths. Stand fast on, what, on this theology I just summarized for you. And hold the tradition which you were taught by the word and by our epistle. I mean, hang in there. So how do you remain steadfast? You chew on this comfort food. You chew on what Paul, on this theology Paul has summarized in verse 13 and 14. On your glorification, your sanctification, your salvation, your fact that you've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world, you, that you've been given the Holy Spirit who's going to sanctify you, empower you, and protect you. You can chew on all of that stuff and you can stand fast in the Lord no matter how bad things get in this world, no matter how bad things get in your life. And I got it. Here's the, here's, here's the really good news. The Lord does all the preparation and all the cooking, every bit of it. Look at it. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, a lot of words there for God, isn't there, who loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and Good hope by grace. May he comfort your hearts. You can go into the next verse and pick up that last part. Now, wait a minute, Paul. If I was an English teacher here, I would give you an F for what you just said. You all see the problem with his grammar there? I mean, shouldn't it say, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who have loved us, who has loved us, what? Who have loved us, isn't that what it should say? Here we go again. This is what it should say. May the Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father who have loved us. Not has loved us. So you understand the difference there between have and has? Have is used for what? The singular or the plural? The plural. Paul used has to speak of both Jesus Christ, God, and the Father. What's wrong with him? 
Well, let me tell you what he's doing right there. He's making a very profound statement in his use of the word has, in the use of the singular instead of the plural. What he's saying is that Jesus Christ and God the Father are one. One God, not two God. They, he has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Jesus has loved us. He has loved us. And he's the one who's given us everlasting consolation. Now that word everlasting consolation might be better translated everlasting comfort. How much comfort do you have in the, in the Lord? All the comfort you will ever need. How long does that comfort last? It is everlasting. It lasts forever. I mean, absolutely forever. How has Jesus given us everlasting comfort? Well, he's given us his word, hasn't he? But he's also given us his spirit. You remember what he told his disciples when he was about to leave this world. He said, I'm going to leave with you a comforter, a parakalitis. Well, this is that same word right here, that everlasting consolation is that parakaleo. It's a form of that word parakaleo. It's that same word that Jesus used. And so what he's saying is that forever, forever I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I have sent you the comforter. And so you can go and through anything and you can go through anything with peace and joy if you'll just stay close to me. If you'll just chew on this truth that I'm with you forever, that I'm going to sanctify you, that I've chosen you, that I'm going to glorify you, that no matter what happens in this world, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to empower you because I'm with you. That is everlasting consolation. And that's why we can say that nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Jesus Christ, that we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. That, that uh, if Christ is with us, who can be against us? We can say all of those things because he is our everlasting comfort. And because we have everlasting comfort, let me tell you what, we also have a great hope. Look what he said in the last part of it. A good hope. Really, that's not a good translation there. Good in the sense that it's a perfect hope. A perfect hope, how? By our works, by what we do? No, by grace. We have a great hope. Hope by grace. Listen to me. God has good plans for you, not evil plans for you. He lives in you. He lives in me. And he is our everlasting consolation. And he's going to fulfill our dreams. He's going to fulfill our vision. He is our everlasting hope. And one day we're going to be glorified with him forever. And so no matter how bad things get, he says in verse number 17, comfort your hearts with, hey, some real spiritual food for a change. Feed on Christ through his word and by his spirit, and he will establish you in every good word and work. You know, a lot of us get heavy physically, because we binge on comfort food. We love comfort food. And that's not such a good thing to do, to binge on comfort food. I'm, you know, I'm guilty of it. I ought to be ashamed sometimes. That's why I, don't, I won't even go into a buffet. Because I will eat. They'll shut the place down before I leave. 
But I noticed when we were going to buffets, when Eli, and, I used to take Eli and Nathan there because you could fill them up for a change, you know, and you wouldn't cost you, it's cheaper than doing it at home. But I kept noticing when we were going to those buffets that we would sit down at the buffet, there were guys that were this big around, you know, I mean, I'm serious about this big around and they were, they were eating all of this food and I was seeing myself growing like that and I said, we got to quit eating at these buffets. So it's not such a good thing to binge on comfort food. But let me tell you what. Binge on all of Christ you can get. Binge on all of this word that you can get. It's a really good thing to binge on comfort food for the soul. It's a very good thing to do that. And when you do that, you don't grow weaker. You grow stronger. You grow closer to him and you're more empowered to, to be able to do what the work that he's called you to do. He's, he, he wants you to binge on him so he can establish you in these terrible times for every good work that he's prepared for you. And what's the greatest work that he's prepared for all of us? The greatest work that he's prepared for all of us is to comfort one another. That's our job to comfort one another. And you can't comfort one another if you're not comforted yourself. And you can only be comforted yourself when you've satisfied yourself with this comfort food for the soul. You know, have you ever been around a true believer who's reached that point where they're spiritually satisfied? where they're so close to the Lord that they're spiritually... There's not many of them hanging around. I can tell you right now, don't look at me because I'm not one of them. I'm talking about somebody who's really matured in the faith. They've really assimilated those truths there in verses 13 and 14. It's become part of who they are and they really believe it with all their heart. And they're at rest. And instead of fret and worry... They are full of peace and joy. Instead of discouragers, they're encouragers. Instead of negative or having negative attitudes, they have positive attitudes. Instead of being grumblers and complainers, they're people full of praise and gratitude to the Lord. See, God wants us to all be like that. And it's real easy to become a comforter. We've got to put away the junk food. I mean, the junk food of the, this world, we, it is full of junk food. And I'm not talking about the stuff that goes in the, our mouth. I'm talking about the stuff that goes in our souls. This world is full of it. And the devil wants you to eat nothing but junk food so he can disable you for the ministry the ministry that he's called you to do. And he's called every one of us to a ministry. He's called every one of us to be comforters, comforters of others, but we just, and witnesses for, for him in this lost and dying world. But we're not doing it because we're, we're full of junk. We're full of junk instead of full of the word of God. You remember the story when the Jews came to Jesus and he had done the miracle of the loaves. He had fed the 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish. And they were all excited. And they wanted to see more. And so they followed him. I mean, this mass of people just followed him everywhere he went. And remember what he, 
said to them, he said, do not labor for the food which perishes. In other words, they were following him for the bread. They were following him for the fish. In a Louisiana context, for the shrimp and jambalaya. They were there for the shrimp and jambalaya. Some of you are here today for the shrimp and jambalaya. The only reason you're here. Shame on you. Listen to what Jesus says. I mean, no shame in eating shrimp and jambalaya. Don't get me wrong. But do not labor for the food we perish, but for the food that endures to everlasting life. Instead of bread, instead of shrimp and jambalaya, he says, labor for the real comfort food. Labor for the truth that God has called you. And because you've answered that call, he chose you and him before the foundation of the world in order to save you through sanctification by the Spirit of God. And it's His work. It's His work all the way to glory. He who began a good work in you will complete it till the end. One day, everybody in this room who truly knows the Lord is going to be just like the Lord we are going to be some good-looking people, glorified, good-looking people, very good-looking people. That's some real comfort food. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all you're doing in our lives. Lord, the fact that you've Way back before the foundation of the world, Lord, you chose us to take us all the way through salvation and sanctification all the way to glorification, Lord. Simply because we answered your call. We heard the gospel and we believed. But Lord, now you've left us on this earth for a reason. You've left us on this earth to be, comfort, to be a comfort to others, Lord, to lead others to Jesus Christ. And so we just ask, Lord, that, that uh, you just remind us and, and exhort us, Lord, every day to become more like Christ through the power of your spirit. Lord, and that's not going to happen when we're consuming nothing but junk. But give us a hunger for the comfort food of your soul. I mean, the comfort food of our soul for ourselves, Lord. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us a hunger for Christ. Lord, we're so grateful for him. We're so grateful for the cross. We're so grateful for the gospel. Lord, we just thank you for Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray.